Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Shelburne Street Church of Christ. Again, to all our visitors. It's wonderful to have you here. And I know I saw many of you yesterday at Tim and Bethany's wedding. And it was a wonderful event and a lot of fun. And I'm sure a lot of us are a little tired, too. But it's good to have you here in this wonderfully warm room. I know you'll be listening with rapt attention. Uh, It's been a few weeks now since my sabbatical, and it is still so good to be back with everyone here at Shelburne Street Church of Christ. And um, I've shared briefly with some of you about my time away and what I experienced, and my sabbatical, all seven weeks of it, was a gift of just quietness and rest and, and just time in God's presence in a real um, wonderful way. And two specific gifts come to mind when I think back to my sabbatical. The first one, of course, was just time with family, time with Kate and time with the boys, and just a wonderful time to just kind of be together, and, and, um, and we needed that. It was good. It was really good. So that was wonderful. Um, but another precious gift came to me before my sabbatical even began. On my last Sunday before I left, I was approached by someone who gave me what I can only call a word from the Lord. That that may sound a little grandiose, but it is true. Through the blessing that they gave me, I received a word from the Lord. And the blessing was simply this. When I told them about this chance to go on a sabbatical, they said, May the Lord lead you to the mountain that is higher than I, and may the view be glorious. Isn't that nice? And immediately when I heard this blessing, I knew that the phrase mountain that is higher than I was from a psalm, and I heard clearly in that moment from the Lord, he said, this is the passage that will shape your sabbatical and your time with me. And I knew in my heart that I was to look up this passage and that I was to pray through it every day of my seven weeks away. What a precious gift. It was so good. And so I did just that. On day one of my sabbatical, I sat down in a quiet house, faithful dog at my feet. I cracked open my Bible. And after a little searching, I found out that this phrase, and it's actually rock that is higher than I, was from Psalm 61. And one of my first thoughts was, I'm so glad it wasn't Psalm 119. (laughs) Because if you know your Psalms, that is by far the longest Psalm in the Bible. And I thought, I have to pray through this every day of my sabbatical? Psalm 61, and I was excited. In fact, I already had a song from this Psalm percolating in my head. It was upbeat and joyful. This will be fun. I'm going to sing a song about going to the rock that is higher than I. And as I sat down to read it, I realized that Psalm 61 is arguably a song of lament. A cry of sadness and desperation. And it begins with a cry from the gut, a desperate wail. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. And I thought, Lord, why? I don't want to lament right now. I feel like my last year and a half has been a lament. I, 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 I wanted something joyful and something uplifting. 
But the Lord was really clear. And he said, no, you're going to camp here every day for seven weeks. And you're going to pray through this psalm. And I did. And as I did so, the Lord began to show me incredible things about who he is, about who I am. He highlighted areas in my life where I had been sinning, places in my ministry where I had been, um, I'd been neglecting, and glorious things about what he has been providing for me that I didn't even see that was right underneath my nose. Now, not all of these I'll share with you. Some of them are kind of personal. My goal is not to share on Psalm 61 as it applies to Daniel Patstone, but I do want to share Psalm 61 with some personal reflections because I believe there's a word in there for us as God's people. So let's start by hearing it just one more time. And I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment, just for a moment. You're going to open them again. And I'm going to recite Psalm 61. Ready? Let's do it. Hear my cry, O Lord. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge. A strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. You have heard my vows, Lord. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king. His years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then will I ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Lord, as we gather together in this place to worship you, to hear from you, to cry out to you, Lord, may your presence be very real to us right now. Go ahead of these words, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit. May they bring you glory, and may they bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I began to pray through this passage, the verse that spoke to me the most, of course, was verse 2. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Those words just gripped me. They, 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 they stuck with me. And whenever I prayed that line, for whatever reason, I always pictured teen rock. I don't know why. If you're not familiar with teen rock, every year at Spruce and Road Bible Camp, many kids from teen camp climb up this tall rock formation and hurl themselves over the side into the water. Some even do backflips because they're crazy. That was the rock that was always in my head when I was reading this psalm, when I was praying through it. Teen rock, Spruce and Road. So perhaps when you hear that line, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, maybe you visualize something. Maybe there's a a, a mountain or a hill or somewhere local perhaps that speaks to you. Maybe Mount Doug or Mount Tommy or a little further out, Mount Finlayson. Or maybe somewhere from your home. As a child, I played on Gonzales Hill. 
Don Zellies Hill all the time. And uh, that came to mind as well. But I want you to use your imaginations for a moment this morning and try and picture a high place that you know of and picture yourself there just for a little while. And let's, let's go on a little journey together. I want you to get ready to climb up to the top of it in your head. This is what I did as I reflected on the psalm itself. And once we're perched on our rock, we will look at the glorious view that is around us. And we're going to start by looking backwards. And we're going to look at what our relationship with God has been. And then we're going to look around us. And we'll look around and see God's provision for us. And then we're going to look forward. And we'll look ahead and see God's promise to us. And in response, my prayer is that we would practice praise with a renewed integrity in our devotion to him. You guys want to go on a little journey? You ready? Okay. The first thing we'll do up here on our rocks is look backwards at the vista behind us as we remember what our relationship to God has been, as we remember what God has done in our lives. But first, how do we get on top? God shows us the desire to stand on the rock comes from a cry from the gut. I think that's the best way to describe it. I think that's what we hear in the psalm. It's a cry from the gut, from deep within us. And it leads to renewed relationship with God. The writer of the psalm was likely King David. And given the language of desperation and foes and enemies, it's thought that this was written while he was on the run from his son Absalom. Absalom had manipulated the hearts of the Israelites and he was working to usurp his father's throne. And we can imagine David's cries of desperation after being chased from his home, Jerusalem. Home, the temple of God, in a city that does sit up upon a rock. And David is crying out for a sure foundation to be lifted to a height that he cannot reach himself. He is crying out from the ends of the earth while his heart grows faint. He is at the end of his resources. He is exhausted. He can't climb up the rock alone. God must reach down. And I think that's important to remember. Nothing that we can say or do can ever lead us to the rock by ourselves. Only God can lift us up to this place. David calls out to be lifted to safety because of his relationship with God. These two have a history. For you have been my refuge, he says in verse 3. A strong tower against the foe. David remembers who God is. There's a remembrance of what has been. But it's not just safety that has longed for, but a renewed confidence in who God is and who he is in God. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. This is tabernacle language. The great tent where God would meet with his people. Where the Ark of the Covenant sits in the most holy place with the wings of the cherubim spread out. And it brings up God's covenantal promises with Moses and the Israelites. When God consecrated the tabernacle, when he made it holy. And he said, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell with them. I am the Lord, their God. And desperate for this, David longs to know these things again. The tent of meeting wasn't a board office. 
It was a, a boardroom or an office. It was a place of meeting with God. Meeting with God in his glorious presence. See, there's an intimacy to it. And we hear this rather motherly description of God, don't we? Protecting his own in the shelter of his wings, like a hen protecting her young. And this was something that I felt I was being called back to as I prayed through this psalm, this a renewed relationship with God while looking back and seeing where he's been in my life and how he's brought myself and our family through so many things with thanksgiving. I was entering a renewed relationship with him. And as I continued to make my way through the psalm, God revealed the supporting cast of characters that plays a part in helping us walk with Christ. Okay, so we've been looking back while standing up on our rock, and now we're going to look around us. And again, standing up on teen rock, if you look around, you see all these rock formations kind of jutting up around you, including cheese rock. You have to be there to know what cheese rock is. It's there. It's that little triangle. But anyways, I digress. I stand on the highest rock, Jesus, but I'm surrounded by others. And when I say that, I don't say that in a Jesus and way. What I mean is that Jesus, through his glory, and Jesus through his grace, and Jesus through just a gift, has given us each other to help each other. So as I stand on my rock and I look around and I see these formations, who might they be? Let's go back to our psalm for a second. In verse 5, it says, For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. And the word heritage here is what stands out the most. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. I think David recognizes that his relationship with God is one that is built on some specific identity markers. There would have been, of course, the land of Israel, the law that was given to Moses, the temple in Jerusalem, and even the ritual of of circumcision. But David has been poured into by others. And he comes from a long line of people who have followed the living God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and Joshua. And despite their tendency to sin, God has been faithful to his people. God has provided all these people to bolster faith. And David is grateful for God's provision and stands on what has been passed on. And so as I stand on this rock and I, I look around me, these, are the, these formations are the family of God, both by blood and through the church. What God has provided to help us grow in the faith. And as I prayed through this psalm, I found myself constantly giving thanks for my mother and my father who raised me in the faith, my grandparents who did the same, and I think back to those who poured into them. So in front of me here is the sermon prop of the week. Um, It's a little box, and in it is a little chalice and a little plate. And this belonged to my great-grandfather, Arthur J. Patstone. He was a priest in the Anglican Church, and he moved to Canada from England in 1907 and began ministering in Alberta, mostly on horseback to pioneering communities, before moving to New Brunswick in 1916, where most of my father's family still is and where I was born. 
My great-granddad would have used this on his journeys to administer communion. In fact, the leather, this is kind of cool, is from the gloves of my great-grandmother's gloves. Of my great-grandmother's. Yes, okay. Gloves. Despite what I'm only sure was their tendency to sin, God has been faithful. And I am grateful for the church that I grew up in and the people who taught me Sunday school and served in youth group and invested in me. And even in this church, we see generations of people who have served the Lord. And now our own kids are growing up in here. And I wonder what might the church look like in another 5, 10, 20 years under their leadership. We pour into them the faith that was poured into us, longing to see it grow in them and be fruitful. And I'm grateful for my heritage of those who fear God's name. And I pray that my kids will look back and say the same thing. Okay, so we look behind us, our relationship with God. We're looking around us, the provision that he gives us through his people. And the third thing we're going to do is look ahead of us now. Or ahead of us now, okay, for you, in your, yeah, okay. At the promise that God has given us. And suddenly here the psalm shifts to a prayer for the king. David is praying for himself. He's looking forward. He's looking ahead. Increase the days of the king's life, he says. His years for many generations. Don't you just love praying for yourself in the third person? Isn't that fun? Have you ever done that? Maybe we should try that sometime. Lord, bless Daniel today. In your own time, perhaps. Okay. It seems like this is what David is doing. But David prays with the understanding of the promise that God has made to him. In 2 Samuel, we hear God tell David, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father He will be my son. Now, in some ways, this, of course, speaks to David's son, Solomon, who would build the temple, a house for God's name, but it goes far beyond that. Hundreds of years later, an angel shatters the silence of a bunch of shepherds and says, today in the town of, today in the town of David, thank you. See, it doesn't count if it's Travis all the time, you guys, I'm sorry. (laughs) A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. David's long live the king prayer is given an eternal answer in Jesus. David's family lineage. As has his request, may he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and your faithfulness to protect him. Jesus is enthroned in God's presence forever. For the king lives. We were declaring that when we sang raise a hallelujah. The king lives. Jesus lives because the love and faithfulness of the father protected him. Even through great adversity, the love and faithfulness of the father protected him. Even through torture and mockery, the love and faithfulness of the father protected him. Even through death on a cross, guess what? The love and faithfulness of the Father protected him. And where do we fall in this? 
After his resurrection, Jesus declared that the relationship between us and God has changed in the best way. We are now a part of the family of God. The very words God spoke to David. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now applies to every son and daughter who calls Jesus savior. And we in turn will one day stand before Jesus' throne in his presence. And even before that, through the gift of the spirit, Jesus' presence and power is enthroned in another temple, us. The temple of God his dwelling place, wherever we go, whatever we say or do, his spirit is with us. We take the presence of God throughout this world, through our day-to-day lives, holding on to the promise of God's love and faithfulness that is already in motion. Isn't that wonderful? So, so far on top of our rocks, our glorious view has been made up of God showing a a relationship with us, his provision of family and church and his promise of a love and faithfulness alive in us now until the day that we meet Jesus face to face. That's a pretty good view, wouldn't you say? So where are we standing today? What is our foundation today? If we were to be honest could we say that we're walking out our life on the firm foundation on the rock of Jesus? Or are we trying to stay rooted on something else? During my sabbatical, my family and I had the opportunity to enjoy visiting some different churches and worshiping with what I would call the extended family of Christ. And one Sunday, a pastor was preaching on discipleship. And they asked a simple and straightforward question. Who or what is discipling you today? Because we're all a disciple of something or someone. We can be the disciples of health fads and diets. We can be disciples of art or science, business or education. None of these things are bad at all on their own. But when we make them our foundation above all things... In the end, will it really hold us? And if you're not sure what it is, looking at where the bulk of your money and time are being put towards are often a good indicator of what we're putting into our foundation. We build on these things, but they don't hold our weight. And we grow frustrated, and we grow disillusioned, and then often get angry at God, actually. Whenever David trusted in his own power and his own wisdom, it only ever led to ruin. He remembers and he writes, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, higher than my thoughts, higher than my understanding, higher than my grasp of right or wrong or truth, higher than my relation, any relationship that I could build on my own, higher than anything I could provide or promise for myself or others. Lead me to the rock. And as I meditated on this passage and imagined myself standing on the rock, I found myself wondering, what's next? What now, Lord? Because I can't just dwell here forever, can I? I can't just dwell in the tent forever, can I? Do I just stay sheltered under your wings all the time? I thought I was made to move and to live and to go and to do in the name of Jesus. 
But I felt that God was showing me that we can actually do both. When we find ourselves standing on the rock, the rock of Jesus, when we find ourselves truly rooted in God, aware of this relationship and this provision and this promise, any step we take, we take on this rock. It, it moves with us, for Jesus is with us. And sometimes I can imagine like a teen rock strapped to both of my feet, and I'm just walking with teen rock. And it's a bad illustration because quickly it turns into like a Godzilla thing, and that's not what I was intending. But, but you get the idea. So at home, there I am standing on the rock. When I'm downtown, there I am standing on the rock. Here, right now, standing on the rock. Once you've tried living on the rock of Christ, you don't want to stand anywhere else. And I think David felt this too. He had seen so much of God's love and faithfulness throughout his life, even when he didn't deserve it. So what does he pray in his response to God? Then I will ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. As we stand and as we see all that God has shown us, there are two outcomes in this psalm I feel are excellent ways of responding to his word. First, David says he will respond with praise. And praise is a wonderful thing to practice. It is a profoundly powerful way to give thanks to God, to declare who he is, to petition him in prayer, We've probably all heard the question, how's your prayer life? Has anybody ever asked you that? Ministers love to ask that question. Ministers ask ourselves that question a lot too. How's your prayer life? My question would be, how's your praise life, church? How's your praise life doing? How often are we giving thanks to God? How often do we declare who he is through speech Or song, it doesn't have to be the music to praise, you know. Is it only ever here in church, perhaps, I'm not saying today, but perhaps half-heartedly or half-awake? Is it the first thing that we say when we wake up? Do we say praise the Lord? Or while we walk the dog? Or go for a run? Or make lunch? Or do our errands? I firmly believe if we practice praise, we will be that much more aware of God around us, and that much more open to his voice speaking to us. So practice praise. Practice it by yourself. Practice it in community with your friends, your spouse, your kids, your church. Practice praise. C.S. Lewis famously said, fake it till you make it. Well, not really. But he did write something very similar to it in Mere Christianity. He talked about we become the thing that we practice. Practice praise. Second, David promises to fulfill his vows day after day. And I struggled with this one a little bit. What does it mean to fulfill vows? What vow have I made? And are we supposed to make vows? I thought Jesus said something specific about oaths and vows and not to swear on things like heaven or earth. But in his book, Living Jesus, Randy Harris writes that when Jesus is getting at That what Jesus is getting at when he says, don't swear an oath, is simply live with integrity. Live with integrity. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Follow through. Walk the talk. Live with integrity. 
And I think this is what David is getting at. I will respond with praise and walk with integrity because of who you are, Lord. And these two things encourage one another. When we practice praise, we find ourselves more aware of God in our lives and around us. We see things we may not have seen before. We are made aware of what breaks God's heart and what brings him joy. And then we walk with integrity in ways that responds to what God is showing us. As we do so, I believe we get a sense of God moving in our lives and the world around us. And it leads us to practice more praise when we see what God is doing. And God is with us through all of that. It's not out of our own energy or out of our own will that we do this. He does it with us. And he's given us the church so that we can come alongside each other and help each other through it. So I want to encourage you, embrace that this morning. Because it's a really beautiful thing. As I spent time in this passage, I thought those are two challenging but good responses to God's invitation to once again stand on the rock, practice praise, and walk out this Christian life with integrity. Worship team, do you want to come back up? We never practice these things perfectly. I do feel like God has shown me some things through my time in this psalm that has been good. And if you want to know more or hear more, I'm not an expert, but I'd love to talk with you more about it, about what it looks like to practice praise, what it looks like to walk with integrity. But may I just end this time with a blessing to you as I received one to those who cry out from your gut to God. Accept the invitation to take God's hand and stand on the rock of Jesus, a sure foundation. Upon this rock, may we find relationship with him in his glorious presence, a presence that has taken up home in our very selves through his spirit, his covenant of love and faithfulness spreads over us like protective wings and we find comfort and rest even during great trial. Upon this rock may we recognize God's provision for us through our physical family and our church family and may we gain strength from one another to act out his loving kindness daily through his promise to David cemented in the eternal living Jesus May we gain the hope of new life, a people protected by his love and faithfulness. And finally, may we respond to God with great praise, trusting in his resurrection power to renew us and sustain us to walk a life of devotion with integrity and share these things with the world around us. May you be led to the rock of Jesus. May you be shown these things more and more through the power of the Holy Spirit. May he lift your head to show you a glorious view of his faithfulness and love and may you live out that love daily within his power and presence. Amen. God bless you, church. May we can practice a little praise right now. Let's stand together.